Boom. Live, live, live. Hello, everybody. Uh, this is uh, Mike Mills with Verity Mortgage, and this is the Texas Real Estate and Finance Podcast. And today, I am bringing in my friend, um, Amy Cronell. She is uh, uh, running for mayor. So um, I'm sure she has a lot of things that she wants to share with us today about uh, why she's running for mayor, um, what made her decision, how it's impacting her life, because I can imagine it's uh, pretty crazy and chaotic. So um, without further ado, let's uh, bring in Miss Amy. We'll have a round of applause for you. I've got I got all kinds of production value on this thing. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Hey, Mike. <laughs> have too much time on my hands probably is a problem. I don't know. Well, speaking of time on their hands, I don't think you have any time on your hands these days. Would you say that's an understatement? Uh, yeah, not right now. So we've got 17 days till the race. So we're, we're in dead heat right now. Yes. So what... Um, just like right off the gate, like what in the world made you decide to run for mayor? I mean, of all things, I, yeah. you know, we've known each other for a little while now and we've had different conversations about all kinds of stuff. You've never once mentioned anything about running for mayor. And I saw that. I was like, oh my gosh, what happened there? Yeah. Um, I had to start my kickoff rally with, I'm sorry, I lied to so many of y'all and said I would never, ever, ever run for anything because here <laughs> we are. And it really was more of that, that this was a unique situation where, where we live in a town of 400,000 people and we did not have anybody willing to step up and challenge our incumbent. And that's just part of our our electoral process is that really having good candidates to come forward so that the citizens feel like they have a choice is very important to us. Um, I have done a lot of public service leading up to this point. And so it is not a crazy thing to think that I would become mayor, but it also is really about that creating accountability and making sure that our current leadership understands that we are um, here and just watching and, and have ideas too, of how things can change and get better. So what you're saying then is that, don't get me wrong. You're the intent of running for mayor is to get elected. The mayor. Intent is one, yes. Absolutely. But if anything else at bare minimum, it's just to put somebody else on the ballot to make sure that at least somebody's getting pushed. So it's not just a, you just get your job and walk right in the door, right? Yeah, that's correct. So yeah, I mean, you don't want to feel like as a, a citizen that you were kind of bullied into one decision, you didn't have anybody that was willing to step up. But it is also, it is a tough thing to have people step up to that position because it is a full-time um, position for three years and for zero pay. So, um, well, there's like a little bit of a credit, but it's, I mean, it's basically zero. And that, that yeah, I mean, that's hard. Who who can afford to do that? Who is willing to do that? And so it's not surprising that people aren't willing to step up. Um, but it is something that I just think is very important as we go forward. Well, it's funny um, when you look at just politics in general. And um, I actually uh, I'm kind of a uh, at least a national politics uh, enthusiast, I guess you would call it. Um, I don't really put myself into either category per se, because I think they're both messed up in many ways. But but um, what's funny, I think, as a population is that people, general citizens, we pay close attention to guys like, you know, Mitch McConnell and Nancy Pelosi and President Biden and President Trump and all these other, you know, nationally um, or, or national level politicians. Mm -hmm. But we lose sight of the fact, I think, that the impact that has on our day to day lives is way more local than it is national. Yeah. So the decisions and the people that run for school boards, that run for mayor, that run for city councils, it seems like those things have a direct impact on your life much greater than the national politics, but very few people tend to pay attention to that. Why do you yeah. think that is? They, they do. In fact, I'm kind of the opposite that I do pay more attention to the local side than yeah. on the national side. And, and really just because of what you said, there aren't enough people focusing on the local. And I'm like, well, okay, does everybody else is looking at national. Let me really try to help and impact on the local side. And I really think it is one of those that um, you have a lot of opportunity to make impact if you choose. It's just a lot of people are just like, eh. Eh. like it's just really it's a lot of work apathy it's not that there's like malice in it or like trying not to know it's just people just really don't know what's going on on the local level a lot of times and so they're not they're not involved and engaged enough to even really be conversational about some of it and so they just tend to step back from it and i hope that this encourages people too to say hey it is not it is not impossible to get involved at the local level and really be impactful on what the community does and says and how it continues to evolve. We're all, I mean, across the country, we're all at this point in, in history of that, you know, things are moving forward at a quick clip and we've got to really make sure that our local jurisdictions are doing that at the right way and not just going off in directions just because it's the the feeling of the political whim of some of that. Well, it's hard. I think um, the average, you know, again, the average citizen 
we have jobs, we have kids, we have sports, uh, sports yes. e you know, everything that fills your life up, right? Yes. And so you only have so much time outside of those necessities that you have to do to live to pay attention to other things, right? So if you're a sports fan, you're watching, maybe you're watching the Rangers or the Mavericks or the Stars or, you know, um, which they they uh, tied up the series last night. But, um, you know, your, your attention's diverted in that direction yeah. and that's enjoyable, that's fun, that's something that brings you pleasure. And then you're like, hey, here's what's on the ballot for the city council <laughs> next year. And you're like, right. you know, yeah. it's like go to sleep because it's just, it's hard to keep people's interest. So like, how do you overcome that when you're going through something like this? You know, I think some of it is just asking that, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes it would be, uh, well, all the time, it would be more fun and easier to, to focus on something like watching the stars game instead of watching a city council meeting or something right. every, every single time people yes. would choose that. Yes. But for somebody saying, Hey, I'd love for you to participate here. You know, we have a need for this. You would be a great fit here. Right. And how, like helping people come along to that. That's really, I mean, I would not be sitting here if I hadn't been challenged by that, by people of saying, hey, Amy, we need somebody to run. You're a great person to do that based on what you have done in the past. Like this is a next natural progression. You should consider this. And I mean, my first answer was no. And then it was no again. And no, 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 actually not me. No, thank you. That is really not me. But ultimately, sometimes it is us and there isn't somebody else that's standing behind to say, OK, if she doesn't do it, then it's somebody else. It, there may not be somebody else. And yeah. so it really is that importance of have it of being confident and asking friends and neighbors to join, but also in being comfortable and saying yes. So you actually had people coming to you saying, hey, you need to do this. You need to yes. do this. Yeah. yeah. And that was yeah. kind of the push that made it. Yes. It would not have been on my radar otherwise, no. <laughs> really. <laughs> well, I mean, that's good. That means that, you know, there were people out there that were, um, you know, either looking for something different or, you know, feeling like, like you said, there needs to be another, uh, another piece of the conversation other than just one side of things. And, and that the fact that, they looked at you and said, Hey, would you help us do that? I mean, that's, that's great. I think, I think it seems like, and again, this is, it's hard to judge the difference between national and local politics, but you know, you look sometimes at say national politics, for example. And one of the problems that I personally have in that realm is that there's so much money involved and there's so much outside influence into what decisions are made on a policy level. I mean, again, this is national, this is not local, or at least <laughs> to well, my, yeah, I mean, it is a little bit on both to but my yes, knowledge, right. but, yeah. but I mean, even to the point where you hear about bills that are written, that are written by, you know, attorneys for super PACs that are coming out of that are presented to congressmen and senators and saying, here, here's the bill that we want you to present. And they barely read over it. They barely understand what's in there. And all they're doing is just checking the right box to make sure that they're doing what they're supposed to do. So that way the money keeps coming to their campaign. Yes. And that's a very difficult thing. I think when you look at politics to say, well, the people that you would most want to be in charge or at least have a say in where the direction of the city or the state or the you know national politics goes, they're probably the ones that are least interested in doing it because either they're already relatively successful in their careers and they're just like, I'm going to keep doing this because that's a whole lot of headache yeah. or they are, they don't want to get into that that game because it feels dirty because it's just like okay well who am i beholden to now in order to make sure that you know i can continue operating my campaign so yeah. like how do you navigate just the funds of of dealing with how you know you got to print signs you gotta you, you can't i know you work because you work all the time but to say that doing this doesn't take away from you oh. selling homes <laughs> would 100%. be an understatement, right? I mean, you know, that's what we've had to look at. What does that look like? Amy working for free for the city for three years right. after election. But we've also had to look at what does that look like um, to, you know, drop out some of our business during this time while we're going and doing all the things. Um, and luckily, Spencer's there to kind of yes. help, help come yes. beside me and help yes. with some of it. Our agents have been very understanding. But ultimately, there definitely is some costs there. Um, on the the just the opportunity cost of what you could make in business by not participating in it. Right. There's also that what you said of the the fundraising side of how to do it. And I will tell you, I'm such not the politician that 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 was the part that I had really always said too. why would I ever want to do that? Why would I ever want to encourage someone to donate to my campaign to buy stupid things like signs or flyers right. or send out mailers like what in the world? That is such a waste. Why wouldn't they just contribute that to one of our favorite charities and really let that actually go to something good? What I have had to step back it with is say, okay, if I am taking this so seriously that I am willing to put 
that working for free for three years on the table, mm -hmm. then I also need to allow other people who love the city to, to come beside me and give dollars that they're not willing to give up that time, but they are willing to give those dollars to make that happen. Right now to your point too, I do want to make sure that those dollars are no strings attached dollars too. And yeah. I've been very fortunate to have really candid conversations with our investors to say like, that's just not how I play. Sure. Like, I, you know, I'm a rookie at all of this. And so I'm like, gosh, I don't know. I, you know, maybe there was supposed to be some sort of pay to play. That's not what I do. So y'all yeah. let me know if that's, yeah. and really there's been a lot of grace with it. So I hope that that is encouraging for other people too, that want to get involved and want to consider that is that there, there is some opportunity to come beside candidates and um, really help make that, that all come together in a more genuine way. Have you been able to do a, a fair amount or decent amount of like small donation stuff where, you know, cause I don't know what the uh, campaign is like crowdfunding or yeah. what, what would it call? I don't know. I've gotten everything from $20, yeah. um, you know, donations to, to multiple thousand dollar donations. Yeah. And so it has been very helpful. You know, ultimately we got into the race um, late really because we were hoping that another candidate would come forward <laughs> candidly. I mean, we were every night, like anybody, yeah, anybody yet? I anybody mean, yet? seriously, we're, you know, when there was another candidate that was going to run and, um, when she decided not to, I said, man, I'm going to be praying for that next candidate. I am just really hopeful that that's going to come forward. Yeah. And in no way did I think that was me. Um, and so really when then people were talking to me about me, I was like, oh my gosh, no, you know, still there's got to be somebody else out there. We were refresh, refresh, refresh every night on the um, computer saying like, somebody else is hearing this call more than we are. Somebody else is more prepared, but ultimately sometimes it is that, you know, God equips those who are called. And so we yeah. just step into it and say, all right, I'm here. here we you go. know, let, let me know what I can do and, and let's see how this goes. So, um, you know, anytime someone's running for office, everybody will say, okay, you know, what, what makes you qualified to, you know, to direct a, or lead the direction of the city. So now I know a lot of the things that you've been through and, and, um, you know, committees and, boards and things you've been on, but just yeah. for anybody that would watch this, like what, what do you feel like has put you in, what, what experiences have you had over the years that have put you in a position now where you feel like you could handle a job like this and be able to deal with all the stress and the problems that come with these kind of things, um, and still be able to, you know, keep your sanity. Yeah. Um, well, I haven't proven that that is going to be successful yet on keeping the sanity. <laughs> You're side. working on it. You're working um, on it. Yeah. So, um, but I, I do think it is this um, continued commitment to the community that has really helped with that for me. So when I uh, started in real estate, one of the things that I took very personally was that if we're selling we're selling that community. We need to be invested in making that community great. Right. And so as part of our business planning every year, I have 25% of the time that, that I would put towards the business as being put towards the community. And right. so, um, that's just something I've always taken seriously. And so over those many years, there, there've been a lot of things that I've gotten the opportunity to do. So with, um, professional organizations like the board of realtors or the chamber of commerce with nonprofits, like, um, the aware board or Arlington Urban ministries, I've also done leadership Arlington. Um, I, uh, was chair of, uh, downtown Arlington management corporation. I've done, um, offices with the city as far not elected offices, but commissions and committees yeah. and those kind of things. And so it just is that breadth of time that gets passed where got relationships and have some institutional knowledge of what things are going on. And so then that leads to something else. Is Maybe there... I should have said no to some of those so that I wouldn't <laughs> be here right now, but right. here we are. But here yeah. we are. Here yeah. we are. Is there, um, is there any like, okay, so let's, let's go ahead and get on to, you know, obviously you're running for mayor. So you, you had to have some things in your head where you say, okay, if I were to get elected, mm -hmm. here are a couple of things, you know, that I'd like to look at either, you know, reevaluating, you know, sometimes people say, I'm going to change this. And it's like, well, until you actually get in there and you see how it works, you know, you get to see how the cake is made. Yes. You, you can't say that, oh, I'm going to make these. Well, you don't know. I mean, it may, you may get there and you'll be like, oh, I guess I can, there's nothing I can do there. Yeah. So, so what are some stuff that you would look at either reevaluating how the city does or uh, even new initiatives, things that you feel like should be at least be just should at least have up up for discussion on things that could be brought forth like give me some ideas of um you know your platform <laughs> yeah yeah and i i've been telling everybody i'm like i'm a fairly terrible candidate at this because i don't have like it's one two three things and if those right. aren't done then we're not successful sure because it is some of we've got to listen to what the residents say and then be able to bring that back to see what is possible and actually right. put some of that in action and so that really is my motivator here mm -hmm. is really being a voice for what the citizens want and how can we work to take those things forward 
what I'm hearing most in kind of this listening tour of meeting people and seeing some of this is that they are um, feeling a little frustrated in Arlington that there is this bright and shiny light on the entertainment district for our visitors, but not as much on their neighborhoods and their commercial corridors that they're visiting on a regular right. basis. And so it is looking at then from from a leadership perspective of how do we look at resources to see what resources we could devote in a different way to that. And so some of that is going back to my background of, of finance and management and pulling apart budgets and really looking at some, and asking some of the hard questions of what, you know, where are, where are some opportunities that we could devote some funding here to really make impact. And, right. and so that's really what I'm committed to do is come in and, and ask the hard questions, continue to fight for our residents and really make sure that they are getting what they need as a, as a stakeholder in that community. Well, you know, actually that's a great point. I've, I've always thought like, and again, you're not going to be president, but you know, anytime, whether it be president, whether it be mayor, whether it be governor, whether it be, you know, you're, you're kind of the CEO of that, you know, entity, whatever it is. Right. Yeah. And, um, you know, they always, when you see these, uh, presidential debates and I'm sure mail, they have all these questions. Well, what about, what would you do about this situation? What would you do about this situation? And to have the expectation that one human yeah. is going to understand every facet of the city government is just, that's, that's, it's, it's insane. Like you, you can't, there's no way. Right. Yeah. So your job really is and the president's job and the governor's job and the mayor's job is to like you said, ask questions about what's currently being done. Why are we doing it this way? Why is this being handled in this manner? Why is this money being allocated here? But then also to put people around you that you value their opinion, right? Absolutely. I value what you say. I value what you say and what you think because you understand the economics of how the water district works. You understand how the entertainment district is set up with all of the different entities and corporations involved in creating all these different buildings and facilities and all, and how the city plays a role with taxes and all that stuff, right? You have to have people that understand those and be able to put people in position to give you good advice because you're not going to have all the answers. But- that's why, you know, the whole idea of term limits comes into play because I think you need a fresh set of eyes on things from time to time. And they say, well, you know, the art, the, the people that argue with term limits would say, well, you know, it's a hard job and you have to be in there for a while to really understand it. You got to go through it. And, and I understand that, that sentiment. However, if there's plenty of positions within the city and within the state that are not elected, they are paid for and hired and, and they carry they have a job, right? Yeah, yeah. And so your responsibility as the leader of that entity is to make sure that those people are competent and understand their role. And you ask questions that they have to answer because yeah, the last guy said this, but I don't think it feels that way. So here's what I want to see. So, right. so when you look at how government is structured in general, um, you know, do you feel like that that is your role as a mayor is to come in and say, Hey, um, my job is to evaluate how everything is put together. No, I don't. I'm not an expert on every single facet of this, but I'm going to learn. And I've gone through this type of management stuff before. Yes, I, I think 100 percent that is where it is. And I think there is that that coupled responsibility of accountability to staff, too. Right. So term limits did create a situation in Arlington anyway, where our city staff became very powerful mm -hmm. because it's just a matter of time before the mayor, there'll be another mayor and council. Right. And um, that in some ways that is totally fine. I mean, they, they have done a excellent job in so, so, so many ways, but there are also room, there's room for improvement on sure. things. And Always. so we've got to be able to have those conversations and be able to come to the table and say, okay, yes, this might've been the way that we've done it, but we need to look at what's that next generation of idea. What's that, um, you know, how are we going to move forward and really make sure that we are staying relevant and that we are doing the best thing and being most judicious with those resources that we have. So, you know, running for mayor um, and going through that process, um, I'm sure you had an idea of what it was going to be like, but um, the idea versus the reality are two yeah. very different things. Yeah. So going through this process and doing all this, what, is some, what are some things that you've learned that you're kind of like, I, I didn't expect that. And this is a, a, new, a, new, a new facet for me I wasn't ready for. Yeah. Um you know, there's a lot of angry people out there. And yes. so that really is like a little sad for me. I'm like, yep. oh, we wish we could all just get along and like <laughs> figure some of that out. So, I mean, I think that's really been my biggest um, concern with this race and that I really hope that post May 6th, that there is a time to really create unity with that. Right. Um, and, and that's my prayer, really, whether um, Jim or I are in office, that 
this time is this kind of uncomfortable, like coming apart to make this decision. Yeah. But then that there will be a coming back together of being knit back together and really all working towards this common goal of making Arlington a great city. Um, And so I think it's just, it, it feels right now in this coming apart that there are just are so many people that are so frustrated one way or the other. Yeah. And I just really hope that they can see the heart behind, like the goal is for this to be a better place and a, a, a more responsive and, um, you know, just genuinely, uh, better, you know, I'm trying to give a better, way, but it's better than yeah. what we've got now. And, yeah. and I think it's one of those that we've always got to be growing to. It's sure. not something that even in three years, if I'm elected, you know, I could sit down and say, okay, well, we're good. Like, we're just going to stay on this exact same path. It's not that we've got to make sure that that path is always being refined and looking at how can we make sure that we are getting to where we need to be. Well, I think is a, uh, on the thread of, you know, dealing with angry folks. Um, you know, I, I, I would imagine it's not too dissimilar from like running a business in that, you know, when, when you're, you run a brokerage and deal with, uh, you know, people buying homes all the time, and these are very emotional, you know, transactions and there's a lot of that goes on there me too and what we remember is if we say we close you know i don't know 30 or 40 you close 30 or 40 contracts in a year well probably 90 percent of those went great they were fantastic right 99 yes 99 99 99%. um and and yeah. a, well you know because things yeah. go beyond yeah, your control too. right yeah. right that happened totally. but um but we remember and the loudest and the most um impactful are those one percent or ten percent that don't right yes yeah. so when you're in a city of how many how many people are in arlington four hundred thousand four hundred thousand so in a city of four hundred thousand if you know one percent of that have a problem with something right that's a lot of people you know that's a whole lot of people that are upset and it seems like this is like overwhelming but then when you take a take a step back and go well, wait a minute. It's still just a small percentage of the people that are upset about this. It's like right. that squeaky wheel gets the grease kind of thing. Right. Yes. Yeah. And usually those that are uh, most upset about something tend to bark the loudest. Right. Even though their opinion of the situation might be the minority opinion, they just have the loudest voice in the room. So how do you manage something like that when you're dealing with an individual that has this really strong, passionate opinion about something? But then when you look on the whole and you go, I don't think everybody else feels that way. You know, I mean, how do you how do you balance that? Some of it for me is just listening. Yeah. And, you know, and I think, you know, I think you too, as a business owner and as, you know, especially when when you're um, managing other LOs too, that there are times when the consumer just wants to be mad and we've just got to let that process be. And, and, you know, maybe that's important for mental health and some of these things that we've got going on. And so really that's really been, been the process. It is also helpful for me to hear all opinions. And so I'm like, yes, bring it. I want to hear, um, you know, I want to hear both sides of this. And so that way then we can make appropriate decisions going forward um, because if it is just, just one side being presented, that's not a healthy way to go about it right. either. So, um, yeah, so right now it's just a lot of listening and a lot of like, and, and I want to be there. I mean, my cell phone's on everything. I'm like, call me. I'm not, I'm not trying to hide. You know, I yeah. want to talk about it. You can be mad at me. That's fine. Like, but I want to talk to you about it. Yeah. So that's really been the process up until this point. So, so how are, uh, how are Spencer and the kids handling all this fun stuff? They're, they're good. You know, I think, um, when we talk to the boys about like, Hey, this, this, is what we're considering, what do y'all think? They're like, yeah. Okay. Like whatever. It's just, <laughs> Oh, you're doing another thing. Mom. It's Great. Like yes. the next in the, in the line of what mom does. So it's no big deal. So yeah. So they have been so supportive. It's been very helpful um, to have, to have a partner in Spencer to be able to help, um, you know, make sure that we've got everybody covered and that, you know, we're, we're able to do everything. I had a, campaign event um tuesday night it was davis's birthday and so um he and he like kind of at the last minute put together some friends to go to top golf i'm like i cannot go but luckily your dad can so um you know so we're able to play off each other and really make sure that we're covering everything well i think that's the thing sometimes uh you know we may lose sight of the fact that when we have people that are uh you know really you're, you're you're a public servant Right. When you're running for office, you're serving on student or student council, when you're serving on (laughs) city council or whatever the case may be, you know, you are giving your time in most cases for no money whatsoever um, for the betterment of the of the city and what you feel like, you know, um, 
is is a benefit but in doing that you are sacrificing another side of your life and and that's hard i mean it's it's a very difficult thing you know especially because i know you were you know obviously you've been running your brokerage for a long time but you know the the time commitment for that versus running for mayor is two very different things and so you know just just um you've you at least had opportunities previously to go to the baseball games and go to the cross country meets and all the stuff that, you know, that you guys do as a family. And now, you know, you're having to be having to be taken away from that. And that I can imagine just for your soul, that hurts a little bit because you want to be with your family and spend time with them, especially, you know, I look at it right now. Uh, my daughter's 15 and my son is 13. And my wife and I talk about it on a pretty regular basis that, you know, she's only going to be living with us for like three more years. Oh my gosh. And then they're gone, and <laughs> yeah. you know. And then it's yes. like you know, you're like, what? Yeah. Like, what are we gonna do? <laughs> like, yeah. what, what are we gonna do after that? So, like, you know, I I can imagine, you know, how do you how are you dealing with just the emotional side of it of being there with your family all the time and then having to be torn away because that's that's a lot. That's a heavy weight to carry. Yeah. So, um, you know, we have been very intentional about making sure that we have time on the calendar for them first. So before yeah. we plan out any of the other events, it's like, okay, family dinner's here, family dinner's here. Really, I'm um, creating that intentionality, I think helps. And then also creating some awareness with the boys of like, look, I'm, I'm going to be there for most, but I'm probably not going to be there for all. Right. And so y'all just need to be prepared for that. If that's a problem, let me know. And really, that that really has been our story for part of this anyway. I mean, yeah. I, I have always been of that, that you know, there are, I, I really love going to a lot of the baseball games, but I am also not a mom that needs to sit at every single minute of every single play. Um, <laughs> baseball can so, be a little slow sometimes. Know, yeah. We have game changer and those kind of things. So, yeah. um, yeah. So I think it is just this kind of family commitment of saying, Hey, this is what this looks like going forward. Um, and also giving them a really cool opportunity to see what it looks like to live a life of service and to yeah. be invested in the community and to really put put that yes on the table and say hey this is what we feel like is the right thing for right now so we're going to go for it and mm -hmm. that does mean that we have to sacrifice some of these other things well no that that actually that's a great point i mean you are setting an example and that's you know i think um especially these days with um you know you, there's a lot of single parent households there's mm -hmm. a lot of uh, a lot of kids that are growing up in some you know challenging situations and to have both parents at home and the expectation that every mom and dad are going to be at every single, I mean, I don't know how it was when you were growing yeah, up, no. when I was growing up, <laughs> I, I, I think yeah. my dad went to like, I don't know, I, I played baseball, football, bat, all the way from like kindergarten to high school. I think he went to like four games, maybe. I don't know. You know, my mom was there a little bit more, but you know, it was a different time, right? You know, it was kind of like, listen, um, you know, you have a roof, uh, you have food, um, you have clothing. I never, every I ne day you're going to eat. That's every right. Single day, I didn't need, I didn't <laughs> yeah. need for anything. Yeah. I had all the things that I needed. Um, so just because I wasn't getting a hug every single day, it was, you know, yeah. we survived right yes. yeah so luckily we have my, my parents are in town Spencer's parents are not far we've got a great network of family too that comes around and supports them too but so, serving as yeah. an example to say hey look you know if you care about your community and you care about you know what happens around you because it does impact you it, it impacts your day-to-day -day life and it's always um you know i was there's a guy i won't say his name people get upset about it but he was giving a speech one time at a at a college and uh there was a student that stood up and she was asking questions about a book that he'd written because it was about you know these habits for life and it was like you know get up and make your bed get up and uh you know take care of yourself first and then worry about other things and you know she was like well how can we do that when we have to worry about climate change and all these other things and and his response was it was like well here's the thing how about you go to college, how about you become an attorney? How about you run for office? And then you can have an impact on that or become a billionaire and then you yeah. can have a say on that. But until then, get your own house in order and then you can have you know an impact on those things that you're looking towards. So to have someone in your life as a child that says, hey, look, I care about the city and you're practicing what you're preaching. You're saying, this is, I don't necessarily, <laughs> it's not at the top of my list of things to do. Yeah but it, there's a need and I'm going to fill that need because I have a calling for it. And I, and I think that that's, that's the type of stuff that makes your children grow into adults that look and value, you know, the people around them in their community and, and have a say on, on what impacts their life there. Yeah, hopefully, you know, I think that's, we are like more already like starting to mourn the loss of Davis being 17 about yeah. to leave school and some of that, but we all are also like the, the fire is turned up on the accountability of that. We've got to make sure that he is, this grown up adult man person that yeah. is going to be able to make good decisions going forward because yeah. we won't have as much impact later. And that's, 
that's, I think, our bigger concern that we really want to make sure that he's got all the tools necessary to be able to be that functioning member of society. So I, I'm curious um, about your opinion on this. I don't know how much you've dug, dug into it because I didn't prep you with this one, but um, property taxes is a big deal right now um, all over the, uh, the state, all over this area in particular, because people have seen their property values, you know, go through the roof, um, in, which is on one hand is great, right? Yeah. Your house was worth, you bought it for 300,000 five years ago and it's worth five. Okay. Yeah. That's fantastic. However, that also comes along with property taxes because yeah. in the state of Texas, we don't have state income tax. So a lot of our state revenue is collected through property taxes. So right now um, in the, I believe it got through the Senate um, where they are, um, they're going to cap the amount that they can raise property taxes per year on current homeowners. Cause I think right now it's 10% across well, the board. Jurisdictionally. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And then, um, and then they're also um, increasing the homestead exemption. Um, and I think there was one other thing that I'm not remembering right now, but, um, but it's, I've seen news articles about it all over the place. And with things like this, it always cracks me up because, you know, the Dallas morning news will run an article and say, you know, this is going through the Senate's approved it, whatever, but then it's got to go to the house and the house has to approve it as well. Well, the house may have different opinions on how they think this stuff should be managed. So um, number one is, you know, what do you think the likelihood of that actually passing is? Um, what's your opinion on it? How do you think, you know, it should be calculated or, you know, put together. And then, um, is there anything that you think would be better and more beneficial when it comes to property taxes that could, that's not being addressed right now? Yeah. Um, so it, I did spend some time in Austin last month, really talking to all of our local, um, our local representatives to talk about really some of these topics and property tax was, uh, definitely one of them that came up. Um, I was hearing that really the bills out of the Senate were more um, favorable than the ones out of the House. And so hopefully that will go through and the House will adopt based on that they even kind of saw some of the writing on the wall with that. Right. That's hard to know when you're just talking to a few. So maybe it won't go that way. But it is looking like that is a, a really good chance of happening on that. They all want to be able to put that feather in their cap. Too, sure. Got to get know, reelected. They, we lowered sure. your taxes. Yes. For sure. Everybody's so, um, so there is something to be said for that. Um, locally. So in Arlington, we, the uh, current council reduced the tax rate by two cents in this cycle. Um, Real quick on that. So the, in that case, uh, I, and I'm, I'm maybe misunderstood on this. Yeah. So I always thought that, the tax rate, not, not because, you know, people get confused. You get taxed on the value of your home and that's yeah. the one that moves it the most, but the actual rate, I thought it had to be voted. So the County can actually lower or the, the legislature can, or city council can actually lower it yeah. without a vote. Um, well, they, they, without a like electoral vote. Yes. yes. Yeah. So they, they would control. And so this was really, this was the 2022 number okay. so that they came down on and, and really uh, both city and ISD have impact on that. Okay. Um, now how the money is actually distributed and used, that's, that's a, a other, different, that's a whole situation. other argument. Yes. Um, but so on that, you know, my concern is, well, we, we went up 14% on our, um, uh, receipts over the last two years. That's a big increase. So you yes, the receipts as far as the money collected or as far as the bills that the, money collected. Okay. Yeah. So we're getting in, getting in more property tax than right. we plan on because of exactly what you're saying. Increased like values. Increased values are happening. Okay. And so we gave back this like little bit on the, the rate to try to compensate for that. And I, I understand the mentality of that. And I understand some of that is feather and cap type stuff too, of saying, Hey, we've got to do something to help. Um, but you still have create bills to pay. more attainable housing options, make yep. sure that families are not feeling so much of the pinch. Where my concern is, is that I really want to make sure that we have a sustainable funding mechanism. Right. And um, at the same time, we also have a bond um, on our current ballot for another $278 million, um, which is a five-part bond, most of it being in roads, but in some other public, public things. And, you know, again, more capital expense. I get it that that's not super fun to budget for in your regular budget. Right. But, you know, we have to in our household, right? You yeah. have to in your house. And so yeah. at some point, we can't just keep bond, 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 bond. We've really got to figure out that sustainability on the, the budget side. Now, that is a huge ask. Like, I, you know, and that's not something we've done before. So I am definitely, I am personally supporting 
all five sections of the current bond that are on the ballot because we're in a situation where we can't afford to not you need it. Yeah, it, We've got to at this point, then we can start looking at how can we be a little more sustainable on it. But I really, I, you know, there's a lot of people that don't love that, that I wouldn't have reduced taxes, but ultimately I wouldn't have reduced taxes if we still needed those dollars. And to me, if you're asking for more money over here, then we still needed those dollars. Well, and that's the thing again, because people don't always pay attention to this stuff. Um, Cause I, I personally too am a, like you, you have to pay the bills, right? The bills have to be paid. Right. So there has to be a way to collect revenue for the city in order to pay the bills. And where we think is, you know, people think about taxes, taxes, bad, 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 but Taxes pay for police officers, taxes pay for firefighters, taxes pay for roads, taxes pay for schools, taxes pay for a lot of things. And if you continually cut, 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 then those things move more so into the private sector, which in some cases is good. Okay. But in a lot of cases, do you want the police department run by the private sector for profit? I don't, I don't think you do. Right. So you got to figure out how to balance that. Right. Yeah. And we can't, we can't trade resources on some of that. You know, it's not like, you know, we're spending a dollar and saving this many lives or whatever with, with police. But we, at some point there is this thought of that. You can't just, um, that you, you've got to have those resources in order to spend to make sure that we are impacting some of these metrics that we need to make sure are moving in the right direction on a lot of this. Um, and so it's not to say, you know, I, I, I think it's a hard thing for somebody coming outside that has not been kind of behind the, the curtain of what's happening on the sure. finance side to be able to say anything with 100% certainty. But it is saying like, hey, I, I want to know. I want to ask questions. Yeah. I want to cause that accountability to staff and want to say, are there resources that we can pull off of here to to be in another way? Our current police budget is, is, is strong mm-hmm. in a good way, really. Yeah. But we've also got to make sure that we're getting the most out of that as we can. Yeah. Well, in, in the recent, in recent years over the last, and this is where, you know, on the side of police officers, it's really tough for them because let's say the last 20 years, right. We have gone from having police officers be what we perceive as what a police officer's job is to also now they're settling domestic disputes and they're, you know, going out and being counselors, you know, to people when they're having, and they're having to go pull people off the streets because they don't have a place to live. And we, there's, you know, somewhat of a homeless issue in certain parts. So you have all of these things that come into play and our police officers are the ones that are having to deal with this. And Oh, by the way, we're trying not to pay them as much at the same time. So it's like, okay, well, you can't ask them to do all of these things and then not give them, you know, not only the, the, the pay, but the training to do this stuff as well. And, and equipment and all those yes, things too. Yeah. Yes. All that kind of stuff. And it's, and it's so difficult because again, the average citizen is tax bad, tax bad, tax bad, but this stuff pays for so much. That same person is upset that there's a pothole in their street. That's been there for six months that they, you know, bust an axle on all the time. And it's like, there's a, there's a give and take here. And until you can have, and that that's always been my biggest frustration with politics in general is that everything's always black and white, right? tax bad or tax all. And it's <laughs> yeah. like, or, or take my guns all, or, you know, yeah. give, uh, you know, or, or, or give everything. And it's, it's like, no, there is a reasonable, you know, uh, spectrum of, of a place to land and it doesn't have to be black and white. Yeah. It can be somewhere in the middle. The argument or the dis- discourse comes in figuring out what that balance is. And that's why it is important to have, you know, red and blue on both sides because you want to have disagreements on subjects because that's how you come to a compromise, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And that and that gives that that equity and representation of making sure that all parties are heard and that they are able to bring to the table the ideas that that are coming from their background and their their place their their scope of what right. what it is. So I'm excited to hear from from all and and welcome that as it goes in. So let's uh, let's fast forward to May sixth, right? Election day, May sixth. If May you're 6th, uh, yeah. not, is what day is it? What day, day is that? On? Saturday. It's a Saturday. Oh well, that's good. Yeah. No, we're finally uh, figuring out how to put election days on days where people don't have to work. I still in, think in May anyway. Yes, well in May. <laughs> yeah. I still yeah. think uh, whenever we have election days, they should be national holidays. But that's just my opinion. Um, but, uh, cause more people get access to vote. We want more people saying things. Um, but you know, when you get in, when you get into office, we're going to, we're going to project into the future when you get into there. Um, what do you think in your mind? And again, once you show up, you know, things change. (laughs) There's, there's always the joke about when Obama was president about how, you know, he had hope and change and all these things. And then he shows up the first day and they're like, all right, hope and change. Come in here. Let me, we're going to show you a couple of things and see, see why this hope and change. (laughs) 
it'll work. Um, so when you show up on the first day, things could change, but let's just assume it goes the way you plan. What do you think the first, you know, 25, 50, hundred days in office look like for you, as far as the things that you want to try to dig into first and learn the most about right away? Yeah. Um, so budget being probably number one um, is really looking at that. And then really just hearing from from other groups over that first bit to get to where I'm as conversational about where they are and their goals and objectives as we go forward. And and I say that like, you know, even city committees, but also outside committees that were really just coming alongside and saying, like, catch me up kind of on where we go so that that way we can start working together towards some common goals. Yeah. Um, you know, I uh the council normally takes off in July. And so it's like, we've got this like awkward May, June time and then July. And so I I'm really hopeful by the end of July that I really will be more hundred percent ready to go. Yeah. We well, go. that's something where I think when you first show up, I mean, it's really important to start building relationships, right? Like you, you have to get to know the city council members. You have to get to know all the department heads and you know, everything within the city, because in order for you to get your opinion, you know, listened to and felt and, and whatever, then you have to have relationships with these people. So they know that you're coming from a place of, of, Hey, look, I'm caring about this for the right reasons. It's not just because I'm have an ego and I'm in charge now and I get to make the decisions. But, um, you know, I think those first couple of months will probably be really important for you to, you know, sit down and, and get to know each one of these individuals because you guys are going to be working together for what the next yeah, three, three years. years. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, so that's, that's really my thought is that, you know, that gives that, that ramp time to really come in and look. The nice thing is I sit on so many boards now and really am involved and have a lot of those relationships already. So it's not starting from zero. It's starting from some sort of base, but then growing from there. So getting into real estate a little bit, um, cause these things do overlap to some degree. Um, affordable housing is a real issue right now. Um, it's an issue all across the country, but especially here, you know, I mean, uh, I bought my house in my first house in 2004, uh, or three, something like that. It was 20 years ago. Um, it was in Arlington. It was right off of Shorewood drive and right off in Lake Arlington, right in that nice area. neighborhood. Yeah. It was fantastic. Um, we paid $130,000 for that house. And, uh, my interest rate at the time was six and a half percent. But I had like a, I think it was like $1,100 payment. Taxes were low. It was great. And yep. it was a starter house for me and my wife. You know, we lived there for six or seven years. Now that was right before the crash happened, but we still sold our house for the same thing that we bought it for even Good. after the crash. That, um, that house is now a unicorn. Um, and that even that particular house, <laughs> when we bought it for 130, I looked the other day or a while back and, um, I think it's sold most recently for like three ten or something like that. Right. So not my shocked face because yeah, that's yeah, probably that's, about that's right over there. Is. Yeah. So, so yeah. you know, I, this is something I talk about all the time when I get on these is, is, you know, I care about people's ability to be able to buy a home and it's not because I mean, yeah, I like to do loans. Loans are great. You know, all that stuff, but that's how we build wealth in the United States right. is through equity and real estate. And it's been that way for a very, very long time. And I have a very big concern that my children, when they go buy a home now, my kids will probably be okay because they got dad and mom to help them. And, you know, we can give them some money some for the down payment. Yeah. That's right. They've had, we've been, we've been fortunate and we'll be able to pass that to them, but there's a whole lot of people that don't have that. And so what happens to the next generation of homeowners when all we see even right now that are being built, there's not even the single family starts are unbelievably low as to what they should be. We're still at record low inventory, even with rates at 8%. They're not there anymore. They're like in the sixes now, but, but even then, you know, you, everybody's like housing crash, housing crash, the, the crash didn't happen. It's not going to happen because they're not building more homes. People aren't selling their houses because they have a 3% interest rate. So they're not going anywhere. So what do we do about the next generation for housing? And, and are there any good answers to try to solve that problem? Yeah. So I, I'm not going to tell you like, Oh, I have it all figured out. It's actually <laughs> going to be yeah. this. Um, but it definitely is something that we've got to start having some conversation about. I will tell you one of the things that is, you know, just as on, on my heart, just cause that's been my professional career has been home ownership and, and you're right. What, what difference does that make for the generation that has the benefit of that home ownership? Um, it is just so huge that I don't think we can take our foot off the gas on some of that. Yeah. Um, doesn't mean that I'm not, um, sensitive to national trends of saying 
that there is some trending towards people wanting to have more uh, flexibility in their housing and be able to to rent for periods of time in their life. I just personally don't think that's every time in their life. So the only thing so, I give you pushback on that one is I've seen that too, where they say, well, the next generation, they like communal living and yeah. they want to move and be flexible. That's I, there is a certain amount of statistics that show that, but I think the only thing that lags on that is that once somebody turns, cause I had my, we got married when I was 20, I don't know, 21, 22 years old. We had kids before we were in our thirties. Okay. So household form, household formation has been delayed. People are having families later. They're forming yeah. families later on. I've seen many situations where, yeah, when someone's 32 and under, yeah, they want to move. They want to live in the city. They want to do all the fun things that you do when you don't have a family and kids and responsibilities. But as soon as they get married and as soon as they have kids, they're trying to get out of all that. And so, yes, there is a generation of people that are in their late 20s and 30s that are saying, yeah, we like this. But then they're very quickly moving over into, well, I liked right. it then, but I don't like that anymore. I right. want my single family. I need home. to grow up into yes. a more sustainable living source yeah. um, to protect me and my family for that next 30 years right. or more on that. Um, and so that's where my concern is, just specifically speaking to Arlington as a jurisdiction, we're sitting right now at a 46% tenancy ratio with what has already gone through. PNZ and council will likely What's, get to What does that 50, mean? I'm 50. sorry. I, I don't so, 50% tenant, 50% owner occupant. I gotcha. Okay. And so there has not been a um, focus from council to um, really advocate for ownership model to come to, you know, come from a development community. And so that's where I think some of it has to start is looking at how can we really encourage the developers to come in yeah. and build products that will fit for us so that we can help some have some diversity in housing and make sure that we're we're meeting needs on on the whole spectrum. You know, people from their 20s coming into a first home to to 30s, 40s, 50s, and then senior housing too. Yeah. Um, it's all important, but it is also, in my opinion, important to have it not just on a rental model, but also on an ownership model. Um, so you know, so you're talking about like incentivizing builders to yes. somehow, some way. I mean, we we incentivize the Cowboys to build a twenty billion dollars stadium. Like, I'm right. sure we could figure out how to incentivize some builders. And you know, yeah. when you look at it from a developer standpoint, well, okay, if I'm not really getting any pushback, and I can go and buy this land, and I can put on whether it's an apartment complex or what we're seeing more now of um, this horizontal multifamily. So it looks like a cute little starter neighborhood, but it is not individually platted. It is really all owned by one yeah. entity and they are um they are leasing it more like an apartment based model. Mm -hmm. Well why why if I'm a developer why am I not going to want to do that because on if I was just selling them a single family money. I'm only going to make yeah. make money one time on Absolutely. it. Absolutely. If I sell it over here and have this for the next 50 years, I'm making the money on the back of those tenants for the next 50 years. And and in my opinion creating more working poor for our community that really because those rents are just going to go up and up and up for that property as the property declines. Really. Well, there's a reason so that the Black Rocks of the world situation. and all these people have yes. gotten into this is because it's profitable. <laughs> there's yeah. a lot of money in it. Yeah. So you have to figure out how to move the profit from the multifamily rental model and try to get it more so into the single family model to have that. Yeah. So from an attainable housing perspective, like we're going to need some multifamily, you know, I, I, I can't sit here and say like, I would never go for any sort of multifamily. Yeah, I can't have any, yes. but ultimately we've got to figure out how to draw out some of that ownership model and some of that other diversity in housing. Otherwise we're not going to continue to move forward. We're going to get, in my opinion, farther back um, with, uh, a resident mix that is more of a user base than a, a feeding in base. And so, you know, there's, there's just some of that line that we've really got to make sure that our, our residents, whether they're a tenant or they're an owner occupant, that they feel committed to our, our community and that they're here to really be a part of it and not feel like they're just at a stopping point on the place, on the way to their next place. Do you, do you think with your experience talking to the current, you know, city, city management and even on the state level, um, do you think that, they're aware. I know they're aware of it. Do you think that this is a point of focus for them or because, I mean, if you're odds are, if you're running for council or you're doing whatever, you probably have a decent, you know, income lifestyle that you've lived. And so you probably own your home and you know, whatever. So that isn't impacting them personally on a day-to-day -day basis. So is it a focus of the people in, in office right now or the people in those positions to even want to try to figure out how to fix that issue. I think it is. I just think it's, it's the lens of how, how you're looking through it on and how to make sure that we are, 
we're just going in the right direction on it. Right. And um, it, it will tell you, it was one of the things that did motivate me to to come to this was yeah. some of that was that I served on um, which has gotten a super bad rap in Arlington, but this residential infill committee um, where our, our goal was to look at our current zoning laws and our ordinances and say, okay, is there room to bring that a little more into modern time to help in, entice development to come in just with pure zoning changes, not, not ED dollars, not anything of that, but is it, are we losing developers because they're looking at opportunities and saying the zoning doesn't work there. I'm going to go somewhere else. Right. And some of those conversations didn't go anywhere with um, Marin Council currently because for, for whatever reason. Um, and so that's where I do think there is some opportunity to really cause some light to come on that and say, we've got to figure out housing. We've got to make it grow in a different way um, and not in a really for Arlington anyway, not in a way that we're really looking to up the population growth all that much, but we are looking to make sure that we are taking care of the people that are here and that they're in the appropriate size and priced home that they're, that they should be. Do you think there might be any opportunity? One of the um, things that I've noticed recently, at least in the news, and we'll see, cause I don't think it's been fully played out yet, but there's a lot of concern on commercial real estate right now that, um, you know, if there is any type of real estate bubble, that that's probably the place that it is because, you know, you have a multiple different factors, the work from home, the COVID, you know, issues that have that happened. There's a lot more, um, there's no need for the office necessarily. I think warehouses and whatnot are still doing good because of all the goods and stuff being shipped. But, um, but even even apartment complexes, because they built, you know, I think people forget you when you built when you you know if you're going to build a twenty million dollar apartment complex, that's a four or five year project. That's not something that just happens in you know six months, at least yeah. from what I understand. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so you contracted to get everything in place to build this place three or four years ago, get all your permits and everything through. Now you're starting construction, and now all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute, now we've got apartments everywhere, we've got office buildings everywhere, so. Do you think that there's any opportunity in that area because there may be a downturn in that market with less and less, you know, people renewing their commercial leases to where either you can take commercial buildings and, you know, re reuse them and put them in more of a residential type of situation or even, you know, tear them down and 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 use the land because that's the that's the big cost, especially yeah. Arlington Mansfield is, you know, there's just there's not no a lot land. of land. That's there's right. no land. Yeah. So um, we've actually talked about this, like us looking for for um, office space and trying to figure out what the right thing is on that. And it is I, in Arlington anyway, we are still seeing a pretty low vacancy rate from an office perspective. And um, there are some retail and, and those kind of things that are uh, have a little bit higher vacancy. Ultimately, um, my concern of Arlington is that we are tired in some of those commercial corridors, too. And so it may be some necessary things to have happen of some of those properties to look at a way to rebirth into something else. Right. Um, you know, former, former Mayor Williams said, said that Arlington was under demolished and there definitely are some places in Arlington that are under demolished. And yeah. so some of that is, and, and this may be where then there are some more public private partnerships that are options of being able to come and say, how can we prep this land to get it ready for what we believe is the next generation for this, this land to be. Um, and really helping to get to a place where then developers are really more enticed and looking at, okay, that is something that's interesting to me because they're not having to do, there's, there's not as much hair on that deal kind of thing, right? Right, that, right. that they're seeing that they're going to have to deal with. Right. So, um, we're almost at an hour here. So I want to ask you one more thing. Cause I know you got, um, I'm sure you've got 7 million other things you got to get yeah. to. So I'll, I'll get you out of here, but, um, I want to get your thoughts on, um, what you think where the economy is kind of headed just in general, because, um, and you know, just like real estate e economies are local, you know, they're not as not always national, but there's a lot of stuff in the news right now about, you know, either we're already in a recession or we're headed that direction and it could be very harsh or, you know, I see both sides, I see people say, Oh no, you know, we're, we're kind of bouncing back. It's on the upside. And then I see people like, no, this is the, the dead cat bounce. Oh, um, this is the dead cat bounce. That's about to change. And that's not going to continue going forward. So, so from your you know, just for your own personal opinion, like, where do you think, you know, all this stuff is headed? Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, I think we're kind of okay. I think housing is tough right now. It's mm -hmm. something that we're going to struggle with these interest rates and really having a lot of mobility happening. Um, but I don't think we're so hamstrung that it's, that there's nothing happening, mm -hmm. but I'd be, actually be interested to hear what you have to say on that too. Maybe. Well, I, I, if I had to, if I had to put money on it, if yeah. I was in Vegas and I was putting money on it, I would say that we are probably headed towards a pretty good downturn. Um, I think, I think it's going to happen or I think it's more likely to happen. I should say, just because 
there's a lot more issues in the banking sector than I think people understand. Um, and I don't mean, I, you know, Chase Bank and Bank of America, they're going to be fine. Okay. They're always going to be fine because they've got, you know, fed dollars in their back pocket that they can always get to if they ever need to, because they can't fail because they're not allowed to, because it would cause complete havoc. Um, but I think there's so many things that are happening right now between, you know, the war in Ukraine, which is causing a big strain globally on all kinds of issues with supply chain and everything else, uh, energy prices, you know, getting more and more expensive. Um, I also think that, uh, you're seeing, um, or we were going to start to see corporate earnings, um, when the, when those start coming out, cause we just remember, we're just out of Q1. Just barely out of Q1. So you're starting to see more and more of these earnings pop up and those are starting to get worse. And, and the projections for where they're going to go are getting worse and worse and worse. And um, that's kind of, you know, whenever the money supply shrinks because you have higher interest rates, less people borrowing, then there's less mobility. So the, the economy just isn't kind of churning at the same rate that it always does. Yeah. And that's when you start to see layoffs. And that's when you, you know, when, look, if you're a publicly traded company and your job to your shareholders is to show a profit, then that's your job. And if sales go down, then one of the easiest, best, quickest ways to solve that problem is by laying people off. And we experienced it. I, I joke that, you know, the mortgage industry in this situation was kind of like the canary in the coal mine because we've already gone through that. We went through that over the last eight or nine months where we had to contract pretty heavily because we went from the, you know, craziest, most uh, uh, high flowing market that we've had in the history of real estate because rates were at two and three percent to they just slammed the brakes on and everybody went flying out of the car, you know, because that's what happened. Yeah. And, um, and so we've experienced that and we're kind of now starting to go on the uptrend. Yeah. So, but I don't think that that, the, I don't think the rest of the economy has felt that. And my biggest thing is, is that we as a society, especially now, because social media is so big and all of our attention is our attention spans are like this. Right. So when you see something on the news, that says, oh, the crash is coming. And, and then a week or two goes by and you're like, ah, nothing happened. I'm still working. I'm still doing my thing. I mean, everything's fine. Um, we lose sight of when you go back and look through history, these things don't happen overnight. There's a slow crawl down. There can be big events that cause things to go. But for the most part, it's a slow trend downward. And then you look back and you go, oh, wait a minute. Like we were over there. Now we're down here yeah. and you feel it. But because our attention spans are so short, like we just like, ah, oh, we're fine. You know what I mean? Well, and I think that real estate in general, like especially on the residential side, but even the commercial side too, that we're feeling that even more because the Fed is starting to really use that that rate as the lever that they're using to yes. control. Yes. And um that that doesn't bode well for us long term. I mean, when I started hearing more and more of that, that does make me more nervous about what does that do for home ownership and what does that do for kind of the reputation of home ownership on some of that too. If people are like, well, and I'm I'm down, I'm done with that. You know, yeah. if they're gonna keep doing that and messing around with me of okay, maybe it's two percent and then maybe it's eight percent the next time I come in, and then it, it just is too much volatility in that. Yeah. Um so I'm, I'm concerned about what that looks like for the industry. Well, we should. We have a, a CPI report that'll come out in early May. And the expectation just in everything that I follow is that it's actually going to be pretty good because um, and I, I understand it to a certain extent, but I still get a little confused because it has to do with how rents roll over. But there's always a lag in rents um, on, on the inflation data. And so okay. we're, we're, there's usually like, it's, it's something crazy, like six months. And I, again, I think it's how, how leases turn over and, and when we get that data in. And so, um, for a long time or the last six or eight months, rent rentals have been high, you know, the rental market and the price that was, I mean, it was something like, I want to say it was like 30 or 40% that made up that boost, the higher level of the, uh, of inflation data. And so this is the first month where the trend for that will be the data will come down. So the expectation is that the inflation data should be lower. Well, when that happens, then um, the Fed more often than not will start to slow their rate increases. So what they what the market thinks is that we'll have a good CPI data in May, then the Fed will still raise rates one more time in their in their May meeting. Okay. Um, probably a quarter of but a point. Little, right. Right. Yes. And then the next one, which I think is not until Ju July, maybe. Um, that the expectation in the market is that there will probably be a pause. Okay. But then where everybody thinks is that by the end of the year, they think the fed's going to turn the, the knob back down and start doing QE. And I don't think that's going to happen. I think they're going to stay paused 
for a while until they get at least close. Because what happens with inflation is it sticks. Yeah. Like once you get to a certain point, you can bring it down, but then it gets real sticky and you got to, you know, let it play out a little bit. So, and I think that's where the trend, the downtrend in the market will start to occur because the money will contract. People will think, oh no, it's going to be good. And then the Fed will come out in the middle of May and go, no, no, no we're raising rates again. And then I think the market's going to go because they're going to like, well, we, this is what we were expecting. Yeah. Um, you know, so you we'll think see. general, general market or housing market or both. See, I'm still seeing a lot of cash on the sidelines on the house, on the housing too, that people are willing to come in and throw towards yes. property. Yeah. And so that to me is helping to make sure that are helping to not get our prices where they're deflating in a significant way. Well, I, there's still the, the image, the problem with houses inventory and, and inventory. Yeah. Yes. We, we still have less than two months of inventory. Yeah. Now the problem is, is with real estate and when, cause people read more national news and they read local news. And so when you see stuff, California is having a hard time with real estate, but that's because half the state moved out of California and yeah. moved to Texas and Tennessee and Florida and everywhere else. Yeah. So, and, and Oh, by the way, all of Silicon Valley and all of the tech industry took a huge hit and laid off hundreds of thousands of people. So yes, that market is having a hard time. We are not experiencing that in Texas. We, we haven't. Yeah. And there was only maybe three or four months, I would say. Less velocity in the housing market, but definitely not no price an impact production. on pricing no. at all. Yes, no. so, it, yeah. it hasn't changed. And until, you know, because that's where I, because I talk to people about this every day. So it's until they say, well, you know, I'm going to wait for pricing to come down. Well, it's not What's because be? <laughs> the minute that rates do come down, which the expectation is within the next, say, 12 to 24 months, we might be into the fours and fives again. OK, it's not getting the twos and threes unless there's just a massive crash and, you know, Fed starts buying mortgage backed securities again. But even at fours and fives, all of the people that have been sitting on the sideline going, well, I'm just going to wait. They're all going to come flooding back in. And so the two months of housing inventory that we barely have right now, if that happens and it doesn't improve between now and then it's going to be next to nothing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And like you said, the cash is still coming in. The investors are still buying. I mean, I read the other day and I, again, this is in Dallas morning news. So in 2022 in Tarrant County, 50% of the homes sold were sold to companies and, and investors. Yeah, I saw that too. Um, That's I, insane. I know. I did question that with NAR to see if they could get us real data on it. But I, I mean, it is what I mean. I'm sure they're right. It's just one of those that. Or even if it's close know, to that, it's 40%. If it's close, yeah. Because I just, I'm not seeing that as much on a on a real time yeah. basis, just from anecdotal, you know, the stuff that you, yeah. the transactions that you I do. I mean, yeah. we're looking at. Cause I'm, I'm seeing every transaction that the, that our company is doing and I'm not seeing those kind of um, institutional buyers, but they could be coming in and buying, you know, REIT blocks where, yeah. you know, that, that is what's impacting it. So well, they're probably but, not using a realtor really. I mean, you yeah, know, if you're, yeah. if you've got well, $2 million in an investment fund, you're just going to the seller and you're saying, Hey, I'm going to pay this much and be done with yeah, it. Yeah. You know, so. And that's what I just am interested to see, like what that mix is of, of pure residential versus some of the multifamily and how some of that goes. Cause I think it is, it's a really interesting question. And if that is really happening, we are in a, a totally different point in our history of how housing has gone. Well, and, and the problem is, is that this is a situation where housing has always been a big driver for GDP. It's always been a big driver for American, American citizens, wealth yep. creation. Right. And if that dries up and goes away, okay businesses get it instead what yeah. i mean what what becomes i mean yeah. you know that's my biggest fear honestly and, right. and and i don't know if it's 10 or 15 years out. i mean even for our industry right yeah. what happens if all the residential market not because of contraction of the economy but just because of the nature of that letting us have these commercial interests come into this industry and take over there's there's no need for loan officers anymore. i mean look blackrock isn't calling me to yeah. get their fha mortgage for that house right yeah. and they're not calling you to list it so these this is you know look at the stock market stock market's a great example right now in the stock market there's something called dark pools have you ever heard of this oh. so if i buy um tesla stock okay i put an order in with vanguard to buy tesla stock for let's say 120 dollars a share okay. right well when that order is placed it goes into a dark pool and this dark pool now is selling not, I'm not buying Tesla. I'm buying or from Tesla or from, I'm buying from a set of investors that yeah. get to decide what price they want to sell to me or buy from before it actually goes to the open market to like, if I was buying your stock and you were selling, cause that's how it works, okay. right? I yeah. buy yours, yeah. you buy mine. Yeah. So it gets put to the side first. This is where Robinhood got into a bunch of trouble okay. because Robinhood was taking all their trading and they were just offsetting it by like a penny. 
right? Two pennies. Yeah. It was very small. Fraction of a penny. Fraction of yeah. a penny. Yeah. But that's billions of dollars when you have trillions of dollars moving through the market, right? Yeah. So what happens if that model gets into housing to where BlackRock says, or Blackstone or Vanguard, or whoever, yeah. I don't mean to pick on them, yeah. but even though I should, but it, it, what happens when they have a pool of a hundred homes that they want to move, but it doesn't make it to the market. It, it gets offered on the quiet commercial market first yeah. if there's any takers and then that's how everything gets transacted and the individual consumer is left completely out of that out of that metric yeah i mean that's the place we could go in a not a really long period of time yeah and in some ways that may not be the worst thing for the consumer if they have an opportunity at purchase of it you know i went to some training on nft and blockchain and how that relates yeah. to to real estate which is like you know, we can talk for hours far on, away that, on yeah. that too, but there are some ways that we can pull some transactional costs out of that to oh, potentially yeah. be a, a benefit to the consumer, but not in this way, not in a way where we have these massive entities that are, are really trading these huge blocks of rental properties and leaving so many of our residents in those rental communities that are just going up and up on their rent prices. Yeah. I, Per demand. Yeah, I don't. I don't know the solution to it. I. I just. My hope is is people just keep talking about it and keep trying to figure out how to solve the problem. I mean, there isn't a there isn't a way out of it right now. And unfortunately, um, when the little guys competing against millions and billions of dollars, uh, more often than not, you know, they don't win. Yeah. Yeah. But that's why we need really conscientious people like you in office to be able to at least call that stuff out and, and make it a focus, right? Yeah. Bringing it all back. So yeah, we'll see what we can do. Well, I appreciate you coming in. Like I said, I know you're a busy lady and you got a lot of stuff on your plate. So I thank you for stopping by with me for an hour to talk about all this stuff. I'm sure we just solved all the problems. So, you know, everything's fixed and the world's great, but, Absolutely. <laughs> but thanks for coming and we'll have you, once you win, I'll have you come back in all and right, we'll talk yeah. about that. So Sounds good. thanks for everybody that stuck around and we'll see you next time.